Hey, 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 what's going on, everybody? It's Athea Sam here. Welcome to Unleash the Man Within. I'm so glad you guys are here today. You may recall a little while back, I started doing some regular, like every couple of month episodes with Shane O'Neill of Proven Men Ministries Naked Truth, uh, Naked Gospel Podcast, and Drew Boa, founder of Husband Material. And we were just having these conversations together. You know, we're all similar ages. We're obviously in the same space of ministry and work. And we just thought, you know what? It'd be fun to sit down every once in a while, just chat about stuff that God's doing in our lives, things that we're learning, sharing our experiences, doing some processing together. Uh, We're all, you know, kind of have a, I guess we all have a contemplative kind of flair to us. And they wound up being some really rich conversations. What's happened, if you're wondering where we've been, uh, we have not given up on the the regularity of it or the idea. It's just that Drew had his third kid and he's been busy, as you can imagine. And so his priorities have shifted a little bit. And so we took a bit of a break and Shane and I decided that rather than waiting for uh, for things to settle with Drew, in the meantime, we would have our own discussion. And when Drew's ready, he'll join back in. And so today, Shane and I got together. We spoke about spiritual disciplines and spiritual formation and specifically what it means to really be a disciple of Jesus. And we talked about it through kind of a theological lens, through a bit of a philosophical lens, and then we got to some more practical stuff on the back half of this podcast. I'll just say this, Shane and I really were, it was very clear we were hearing from the Holy Spirit. I was getting ready for a message to to speak at a men's breakfast the a couple days, actually the day after we recorded this, and all my prep was out of Colossians 3. And then Shane sent me an email the morning of this recording. He's like, hey, man, I just feel like, I don't know if what you think about this, but I've been thinking a lot about Colossians 3. I've been actually reading it a ton lately. And, you know, he picked out some specific verses. He's like, I think we could really jam on this. And it was just like, bro, you don't even realize how aligned that is. And so I think that's reflected in the conversation we had today. It's robust. It's rich. There's incredible depth. And we really try to be personal about subjects that can become very kind of heady and theological. And so I think you're going to you're going to enjoy it. I think you're going to grow. And, you know, that was really the goal of this podcast was to invite you guys into a conversation about spiritual discipline, something that is sort of lost in our society. Uh, I, I would say in general, but even in the Christian church today. A lot of people don't read their Bibles and they don't pray and they don't have that regularity. And so we give uh, sort of a case for that and how it's really changed our lives and why we think you should maybe give it a shot to whether you're struggling with sexual sin or not. I think this is honestly just absolutely necessary to become the people that God has made us to be. So without further ado, guys, here is my conversation with Shane O'Neill. Enjoy. So here's the million dollar question. How are men like us who work hard, have good motives and a God-given purpose, supposed to fulfill the calling on our lives and the dreams in our hearts, all while establishing sexual integrity, thriving relationships, and a meaningful connection with God? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Sathya Sam. Welcome to Unleash the Man Within. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Naked Gospel. Uh, today, I'm hanging out with Sathya Sam. He's been on the podcast a few times. Today, we're going to be discussing, uh, well, spiritual disciplines in a nutshell, um, but particularly spiritual, kind of within the canopy of spiritual formation. Um, if you're listening to this, then you might have a similar story to me where I have 
known the truth yet found myself living contrary to the truth, which just ends up shaming me and condemning me and not really knowing what to do. Uh, it's caused me to believe at different times that Jesus can save everyone except for me, or that Jesus just hates on me, or that he's set up a standard that I'm destined to fail at. Uh, and I don't want to believe that way. I, I don't think it's true. And learning to engage desires. So Jesus invites us into the way of love, right? Uh, we are disciples into the way of love, and that means engaging our desires, and desires compel a lot of our actions. Um, mm. So what does it look like to actually take dominion over our desires instead of to be compromised and violated by our desires? Uh, I think a lot of us have the reaction of, my desires are bad because we see what they look like and we know the truth intellectually, yet that still continues to uh, cause us to live impoverished lives uh, at a spiritual level, at a relational level. So what does it look like to take dominion over our desires and to even gain back some of the lost desire in places of intimacy? Uh, that is, in a nutshell, a lot of the framing of this conversation. Sathya, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, always a, a pleasure. I would not pass up an opportunity like this, man. Thank you for having me. For sure. Uh, so we have a, a similar past. Is that fair to say? Just establishing some something of a, a baseline before we start exploring together. Uh, pornography and being trapped in pornography and broken desires and broken intimacy and relationships, that, that haunted you for a long time. Can you share a little bit? Yeah, it was 15 years altogether from start to finish. Uh, I grew up in a pastor's home, very, uh, very good upbringing, Christian education, all that. Got exposed to pornography in the computer lab of my Christian school. And that's kind of where everything began. Uh, it's also where everything ended in a really neat way. I, I gave my life to Jesus when I was in my early 20s. And that's when I really started to make an effort to eliminate pornography from my life. Until that point, I was relatively apathetic about it. And that was also when I realized just how badly I needed Jesus because I tried to do it in my own strength and I couldn't. And for me, it was about five years before I finally started to, well, it was about three years before I started, started to gain traction, five years until I could reach that place where it was no longer part of my life. And that's just way too long. And so for me, I always had this burning desire in my heart that one day I would get free, not only for my own sake, but for the sake of the myriad men that are struggling and don't have a way out. And so that was always a, a motivating factor for me. And so 2016, it was February 2016, I had my last relapse. Uh, December 2018 is when I launched Deep Clean, which is the organization now that serves men around the world, helping them get to the roots of porn addiction and other sexual misbehavior as quickly and as effectively as possible. That's kind of what we're all about. So that's a bit of my story in a nutshell. For sure. So uh, two two questions. One, uh, grew up a pastor's kid, so mm -hmm. obviously knew the truth for a long time. And then it's just interesting to hear you say that you became a Christian in your early 20s. Yeah. So uh, curious about kind of maybe knowing the truth versus all of a sudden living in the truth and what that transition was like. And then also uh, that phrase, couldn't do it in my own strength. Uh, it's just a curious, it's a curious remark because we see it in scripture um, but it's not necessarily intuitive. And uh, so I wanted you to unpack what that means. So starting first with like, what was that transition versus, uh, from growing up, knowing the truth to living in the truth. Yeah. And then also that, that strength piece. 
Yeah, well, to answer this first one, I mean, we could go pretty deep on this and uh, we, we might lose all of our preparation for this podcast. So I'll try to keep it succinct. Uh, you know, when you grow up in the church, you you believe you can only believe to a certain degree, I would say, as a child, like your my parents did their part. You know, they they not only taught us, but they modeled it, which I think is 95 percent of the work anyway. And so it's not like I was ever not a Christian or anti-Christian, but at some point, and as you gain independence, you have to take ownership of that decision yourself. And the rubber hit the road for me while I was pursuing my undergrad, studying biological sciences, wanting to become a psychiatrist and a university researcher. I, I researched in universities for about three years and very atheistic environments, right? And not even, even the atheism aside, just the concept of truth is, in, is incredibly different. It, truth there is you, you have a theory and so long as you have evidence to support the theory, it stands as true, quote unquote, until there is other evidence that would suggest otherwise. A very different concept of truth uh, as opposed to the Christian ethic where you have more absolutes around the subject. And the frustrating part for me and where the rubber hit the road was I realized I had all the theories, quote unquote, or all the statements of this is what I believe. But contrary to my academic counterparts, I felt like I had little to no evidence in my life to actually support the things I believed. And that's where I got really confused because I was like, man, maybe they're onto something or, and I, I don't know that I ever really like fully turned my back on God, but I certainly like was asking the questions of like, how do I know God's real? And why do I believe what I believe? It was no longer enough for me to just say, this is how we do things, or this is what my parents taught me. And out of that process, I discovered that faith is not a matter of the head. It's a matter of the heart. And I realized that you could stack all the evidence in the world against God. And in my heart, I would still know that he's real. And that's, that's really where my own salvation experience began, I would say, as an adult. And not, not to say I wasn't saved before, but that's, that's really when uh, things became a lot more real for me. And, and shortly after that was then like, okay, I know I need to clean up my life because I was, I was a little bit one foot in, one foot out. And, um, and then that's when I realized that I, I couldn't do the porn stuff in my own, uh, couldn't get rid of porn rather in my own strength. And, and I think what I mean by that is, um, you know, humans naturally resort to the easiest option possible. And so, for me, it was much easier to believe I could get rid of pornography on my own because there's no vulnerability involved in that. Um, there's no asking for help. And ideally, I'm able to pull on pre-existing resources like my own mental faculties, maybe some of the spiritual elements that I already have in my life from growing up in the church. That's what I was kind of leaning on and hoping would get me through. And um, that's what I mean when I say doing it in my own strength. It was sort of the the course of action that has the least resistance. And once that proved to be unfruitful, that's when I realized, like, that's kind of when I came to the end of myself and I realized I needed something more. Does that make sense? Yeah, it it, it does. Yeah, I heard somebody say recently that uh, rock bottom is the best foundation to build on. <laughs> I absolutely hated that line and resonated <laughs> with it at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but before you ask me a follow-up, I think it'd be great for my audience to to hear maybe the same, like tell, uh, just give us a nutshell of your story uh, with, you know, pornography and everything related to it. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I would say I was a kind of a, a good Christian kid uh, growing up. Same. My, my parents were missionaries. Um, when I was in eighth grade, a series of bad things happened. This girl that 
I, for all intents and purposes, loved. Uh, <laughs> she she was actually she was raped, and uh, my grandfather passed away. My aunt committed suicide. Just like a lot of bad things, and you know, in the mind, the philosophy of like a middle schooler: um, if you serve God, you'll be happy. Uh, and then all of a sudden, I found myself deeply hurt. Um, and so I turned to the world. I asked the world, "Hey, what will make me happy?" And they answered. And uh, and that, in a lot of ways, um, became it gave me, I guess, permission to indulge in uh, compulsive desire. Uh, and I do want to frame it that way. It is compulsive, where the desire does it did it owned me. I was just a very angry kid. Um, looking back, I really wish. So I never stopped believing God existed. I just stopped liking him. And mm. I just wished that somebody had been able to pull me aside and say, hey, you you hurt. When you look at this, you hurt because God looks at that and hurts. And you long for justice because God longs for justice. You are made in his image and your feelings, your desires in that way, your deeper desires um, are a microcosm of gods uh and that that uh i think that would have made a world of difference i really do i just didn't like i mean for me it was this happened for god's glory you know and i needed to bite my lip and say he was good and i was like heck no i'm not going to do that <laughs> um i i uh so we're in the season of lent at, at, while this is recording and uh when I was in my senior year, I was addicted to all sorts of drugs, uh, very much addicted to uh, finding and having sexual pleasure, whether with uh, women or pornographic, or whatever. And uh, and a group of my buddies, uh, they're totally secular and they were just as hedonistic as me, but apparently they had this thing where every Lent they would give up porn and it totally blew me away <laughs> because they'd been indirectly discipling me into uh the way of compulsive desire that 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 desire is the point to life that mm. feeling good is the point to life and then all of a sudden i saw them denying their desires and i was like what the heck is going on here and for them it was you know what what's something that we do daily that has a strong presence in our life that's overt that we could all do together i was totally blown away i didn't do it with them it made no sense but <laughs> that was the maybe the first time um, as I was growing up, uh, where I, I just like that there in, in John, where Jesus talks about how the Holy spirit isn't just given to believers, but it will be sent into the world to convict the world of righteousness mm -hmm. and judgment. Uh, and, and I saw that I was like, oh, like they, they, their, their souls are intuiting something, uh, that, that just a buff, like treating desires as a buffet uh, and gorging ourselves and consuming, there's something about it that's leaving them malformed. And so they're actually using Lent to form themselves differently. Totally mm -hmm. blew me away. Now that I am a Christian, I can look back on wonder with those moments, but I had wonder even then about, okay, what does it look like what would it actually look like for for Christians who have God's Spirit to start engaging something like this? What's what's the formative power in their life? And then when I became a Christian, came across people like Dallas Willard, and uh, spiritual disciplines took on a whole new meaning. Um, 
So that, that kind of answers your question also brings us to our, our current topic of spiritual disciplines. I, I'd be interested in your own uh, maybe exposure to spiritual disciplines and what it looked like for you to start stepping into them. Yeah, well, you said something really interesting there, which is that these guys were discipling you, even though, you know, they weren't necessarily Christian. And it really does speak into like, every we're all discipled, like we will be discipled by something. It's not a matter of if it's a matter of how, and whether or not we play a role in that, right. And I, I love that. Um, to answer your question, and maybe to give the listener some context, like I think when we talk about spiritual disciplines, we're talking about like practices in our lives that really allow us to be discipled by Jesus. And there's incredible amounts of intentionality that are required to do this. And I, I would say, I think it's always been true. I'm sure every generation says now more than ever, but it certainly feels that way. You know, just there's so much competing for our attention and our resources. And so for me, disciplines, um, my, so a little bit more context on me personally, my parents knew how valuable the spiritual disciplines were. They, they were people of prayer. I'd wake up in the morning. I would see my mom reading her Bible. Um, you know, dad was like, again, just he had his rhythms and routines and that was regular. I, I was not a very disciplined kid growing up, which I think people would be surprised to hear that about me just because I'm, I'm relatively rhythmed and routined now at this stage in my life. But I still remember one summer, my parents actually incentivized us that if we would read the Bible for like 10 or 15 minutes a day, they would pay us a certain amount of money or something like that. I forget the arrangement, but it was, it was re relatively lucrative for an 11 year old. And I didn't do it. You know, it's so funny. I, in hindsight, I'm like, that's crazy. I read my Bible every day now, you know, and I love it. To think I wouldn't do it for money back then is just kind of crazy. But um, for me, the the thing that was always difficult is nobody told me why the disciplines were so important. Like it, it was often just like, yeah, you read your Bible because you should read your Bible. You pray because you should pray. And it was sort of clouded by this this like should aspect and uh, I often believe that should statements are rooted in shame. And I think I think what you said at the beginning of this podcast, like desire drives so much of what we do. I think for me, there was just no desire to do the spiritual disciplines because I didn't actually understand the purpose they served other than checking the box. So that that was sort of the context that I I started with. And it really took me time. And to be honest, it was actually in my recovery journey that I discovered the power of spiritual disciplines. And we can get into that a bit more, but that's kind of where this whole thing has started for me and, and sort of my journey into like developing spiritual disciplines. So yeah, how, how about you for, for you, man? How did you, how did you like start to develop disciplines in your life? Yeah, that's a, that's a fun question. I, I think uh, initially when I, I was following Jesus, when I, I, I I, ex I, you know, I experienced new creation. Like I, I, I had a different identity. Mm -hmm. um, I, I like the, the scripture, how scripture describes that experience as being born again. Um, we are all always being discipled by something because we're image bearers. Uh, we just have to ask what image are we bearing? And we typically take on the features of the, the things that we're imaging. So mm -hmm. like whether that's I noticed in my own life when I'm when I'm binging a show, I'll start taking on like the humor, uh, whether it's crass or sarcastic or aloof of the characters, um, even celebrity like a celebrity is somebody we celebrate culturally. Um, and, and we do like I, I, 
even started taking on kind of the anemic appearance of the drugs that I used. Hmm. Uh, we do image whatever it is we pursue. Um, and so for me, when I was born again, I always like, I always, I, I really love meeting people and seeing, and like just asking myself, how does this person look like God? Hmm. You know, like, like wow. they've never existed before and no one like them ever will. <laughs> uh, and like the odds of you meeting them, I mean, like right now there's like 9 billion people. It's like one in 9 billion, but it's so much more astronomical than even that when we take history into account. And so it's like, wow, like I get to meet this expression of what God is like, mm. and I get to interact with that. And it's just like, wow, it just blows me away. Um, so when I, when I was born again, I got a one of, and I, I, you know, we could, I, I do, I, I see this in. Christians and non-Christians. For Christians, it's just more pronounced, you know. Like it's, it's like somebody who, yeah, it's like every guy can have a beard, but like when you see one that's groomed, it's like oh, like that's that's curated, right? Like that is yeah. like they're 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 shaping that to their features to help pronounce what is you know what is beautiful, what is handsome. Hmm. Um, everyone has hair, but like styling it and whatnot. So it's like okay, like there's a there's an adornment that takes place when we are born again into Christ. And so for me, one of the things was uh, scripture memory. I just like right off the bat, just like really loved memorizing scripture. I think cool. the, the first, one of the first things I did was memorize the book of James. It took me months and months to do, but I just really enjoyed it. And that's persisted uh, over the years, which has been really neat. But one of the things, so there are two overt sins that I couldn't kick right off the bat. It's like I kicked some gnarly drugs, but one of them was pornography. Uh, and I didn't know how to stop. And I just continued to feel a lot of shame because I, I kind of stumbled into just by virtue of having God's spirit and having empowered longings inside of me, I'd stumbled into like scripture memory, or I'd stumbled into practicing love, like taking out the trash, those sorts of things. Hmm. Um, but they uh, be, it wasn't intentional. There was no like deliberate partnership. I like Paul's language there, uh, being co-labors with God. Uh, mm. I didn't know how to co-labor with God, or as Paul says elsewhere, like work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So we don't, we don't, we're not, you know, uh, saving ourselves in spiritual disciplines. We're just realizing salvation in the areas mm. of our lives. Yeah, uh, and that's been important for me. Where it's like a personalized. It's like the gospel is like this this thing and it's like okay like this event that happened but but what about it is good news for the bad news that i have in my life right now like i, I have to ask myself that on a consistent basis and i really love that question okay jesus where is your good news like what about that story that does not change uh changes my story mm -hmm. um and discovering the good news so it, it took a few years uh, as i continued to read and whatnot before i started and even spiritual disciplines, like discipline was, as a kid, used as like a, a, a punishment term. True. Um, and so I had an aversion to even that. So I had to start using spiritual formation. And I'm, I'm still even like working my way. I have like this, this instinctive allergy to the word discipline yeah. as like something I, I have to do as a corrective, as opposed to something I'm invited to do because there's good news and abundant life there in that yeah. in that space yeah yeah i love that and i know we're going to get into this a little bit about the formation aspect because that i think that is like so critical to this conversation you you reminded me of so two things that i picked up in ministry school that really helped me with um the spiritual disciplines the first thing 
was um, was one of my teachers said, are you familiar with the five love languages, Shane? Yeah. Gary Chapman's, yeah. And so in that context, she was saying a lot of people um, in their relationship with God, they the way they treat him or the way they relate with him, you would think that God's primary love language is acts of service. And what her suggestion was is what she said was, I would like to suggest to you that his his primary love language is probably quality time. And the point she was making is we're so quick to do things for God, but we're a lot slower to actually just take that time out to just be with him for the sake of being with him. And that really added some flesh to the bones of spiritual disciplines for me, where it was like, okay, it's not about reading X number of chapters. It's not about praying for X length of time. It's just about showing up and getting that time together. And um, another another person, uh, I forget which teacher of mine it was that had said, the purpose of the book, this was talking about reading scripture now, he said, the purpose of the book is getting to know the author. And again, just framing it in that context where it's like, yes, you build a knowledge as in you understand doctrine better, you interpret the scriptures better, hopefully as time goes on. But really the goal in this is that you get to understand the nature and the heart of God. And I think that that is for me the the measuring stick of how I've determined whether or not I'm successful in my approach of spiritual disciplines because I can get like I'm very analytical, numbers driven. I can get so wrapped up in that stuff and it's really not what it's about. And I remember there was a season of my life where I was I was really tired. So typically I get up in the morning at about 5:30 and um most of most of my colleagues are like they get up at around the same time and then they go straight to work. Um I go straight to the word. That's kind of my thing is like I I give God my best hour, uh which is usually the first of the day. And so um so that's always been my thing and I had a season where I was really tired. It might have been when I was working on the book or I forget exactly what was going on. And so I was, I was getting up at 5.30, I was making it over to my couch, and then I was just sleeping through that hour. And, uh, you know, I, I tried. Like, I, the, the heart was there, but I was just physically drained. And I remember, it, this is, it had only gone on for maybe about a week or two when I had said, God, I'm so sorry. Like, I really felt this embarrassment. Like, I felt like I was disappointing him. And, um, and I, I heard God, just in my heart, I heard him say, I've never been angry about my kids falling asleep in my lap something to that effect. And, you know, it, I think it just, it's important that we just have that context of what these disciplines are really about, um, that, that it's, it's relational first and the execution is secondary. And um, for me, like, it, I just felt so seen in that, you know, just that God saw my heart, he saw my intention. And I think that's where all of this starts. And I, I, thought, I thought it'd just be important, I think, to preface that before we get into some of the weeds here so that people don't feel too obligated to pattern after you know what we've said in our lives or that kind of thing because um i think it's easy to hear about somebody who's i would say i'm i'm very disciplined you know and i i i would love to share some of those details around it now when we get there but i think um i think it's just important we have that context of why this stuff really matters in the first place amen dude yeah i i love that that is super tender um i've spoken to this before but jesus's definition of eternal life that so this is eternal life, he says, John 17, 3, that they may know you, the Father, and mm. your Son, the Messiah, whom you have sent. And I, I am struck that like Jesus could have snapped his fingers and made us perfect. And imagine what sort of witness that would be to the world. Um, but he didn't. And we have to ask why. And just by his definition, like eternal life isn't a place. It's knowing and being known by him. And he seems to really... 
he doesn't like he doesn't seem to just like it he seems to prefer <laughs> walking with us and walking slowly with us and I, I am shocked even then like jesus like when you read the gospels jesus was never in a hurry and it's just so striking to me uh the first time somebody pointed that out to me like jesus was never in a hurry uh and come follow me it's a walk of faith you know it's not like a sprint um it's not even a run it's just the walk of faith uh so yeah like i maybe a helpful framing for me uh has been um i can't do something for god unless i'm doing something with god if mm-hmm. i want to do something for him then i have to do it with him otherwise it will shame me condemn me batter me and i will i will i will doubt him i will get angry at him i'll be like what the heck like you command me to do this thing and really it's just me trying to pick up my cross and follow him without denying myself and realizing that i'm i'm not made for my own perspective of myself like I, i'm i'm made for his delight like he 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 doesn't just like love me for who i should be or for who i could be or for who i will be he likes me he likes me for who I am and he wants to spend time with me. Uh, I need that sort of medicine. Like that is really good news to me uh, mm-hmm. because why would I spend time with somebody who's just waiting for me to change? Like, why would I spend time with somebody who doesn't actually like me? I, I don't, I would have to force myself to do it. But even then, like, there's no, there's, yeah, there's no, like, uh, there's no peace in that. It's just like this, this gnarly striving to go work out with a drill sergeant, you know, <laughs> instead of an actual father. Yeah. So yeah, I I I love everything you're saying. I, I do want to frame this out once more, and then we can start getting into some of the personal stuff. Is the so Rene Descartes? He says, "I think, therefore I am." He's this guy that lived a few hundred years ago, um, and I think, therefore I am. It is is a philosophical statement. He tried to figure out like what is the basis for human identity, and so he boiled it down to that: like I know I exist because I think. So because mm-hmm. I think, therefore I am. And so we based, uh, and that was like at the very beginning of the Enlightenment and the scientific revolution, and that became the philosophical basis for what it means to be human. Uh, this mm-hmm. is in philosophy called anthropology. Um, and so what does it mean to be human and so we 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 have bought into that wholesale like the church has in particular where the christian who knows the most about the bible and theology is the best christian and right. it's just it's bs and that's like it, it, we frame a lot of our discipleship around then knowledge acquisition where mm. information equals transformation and that's that's it's it's bs it's not true um, it doesn't, it doesn't work. Like again, come follow me. And Jesus' single greatest utterance is what do you want? Not what do you think? Um, and so like even disting- distinguishing that, uh, this guy named, uh, James K. Smith wrote this book, uh, you are what you love. And he goes back to Jesus and Augustine, Augustine, St. Augustine has this phrase, um, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. And we do, we, we live from desire, but we also have agency. Uh, we have, I don't have the power to change my heart, uh, but going back to Genesis one, like a part of the Imago Dei is to have dominion mm. over, to have dominion. Um, 
and specifically over environment. And so I don't have the power to change my heart, but I can co-labor with Jesus in reshaping my environment. Yeah. Um, and that all of a sudden creates the conditions for me to know the sort of salvation and abundant life that he promises and that I long to have. Um, so wanted to work through a little bit of that, just where we are and how we think of discipleship and what it means to be a Christian, where Jesus just talks, I mean, Jesus, Jesus's barometer uh, for discipleship is love. It's always love. Hmm. Um, the, the one who loves the best, not knows the best. Uh, I mean, most of his most striking, all, I think all of his actual arguments take place with people who knew a lot about the Bible, um, but failed to love, uh, their, their hearts weren't changed. Um, so that framing in mind, uh, Cynthia, you're welcome to speak to that if you want. Um, but I'd also like to hear that transition between thinking maybe of yourself as like acquiring information for the sake of transformation to actual spiritual disciplines and learning to exercise dominion and how Jesus empowers us. He gives us authority uh, to actually affect change. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I think for me, the most impactful formative moments in my walk were really the moments where I went against my own nature. And what I mean by that is, for example, like the, it's very easy for me to like, uh, I don't know, to start a Bible plan, to, to have like the things that I do that help me to connect with God and feel like I've put something into my spiritual gas tank. It's a lot harder for me to practice stillness or meditation. Um, and I think for me where I've really experienced the love of God and even just the work of God, like reshaping my heart, the most has been when I have ventured into areas or territory that is less natural for me, but that I know is still very much connecting. Um, and stillness is a great example because I just don't sit still naturally. You know, I'm super active, type A, high strung kind of personality. And th- some of the some of the greatest, most formative moments for me of like, wow, God really loves me, or wow, I can just sit here in stillness, just focus on God's presence, and that's enough for Him. I didn't do anything for Him. I didn't I didn't crack open the Bible today, but I just spent that time just being with Him. And, and learning how to connect that way, to me, that's where I've had the greatest development and the greatest experiences. And I would say the other thing, for me, the, the magnifier of spiritual disciplines is the still small voice of God. You know, we're talking about like knowledge, like that interpersonal knowledge and how that's what really drives all of this. And uh, in saying, like you recorded the book of John earlier, like he's very clear in John 10, like my sheep hear me or they hear my voice and they know me. Um, you know, like that's the that's the marker of being a follower or being a sheep of the great shepherd. It's not just that we recognize his voice, it's that we know him because we recognize his voice. And so I think whether it's your prayer life, um, where hearing God's voice is obviously imperative, that should be at least 50% of our prayer lives anyway. Um, if it's worship, you know, those tender moments of worship where we're just tuned in, listening to how God is leading us and speaking to us. If it's if it's reading the Bible, it means that we're reading, but we're also uh, letting the spirit of God open up our hearts and our minds and and our the eyes of our heart to see what He's highlighting, you know, to to make sure that we're reading it. Um, I, like we, I always use this little phrase of like, I try not to read the Bible; I try to let the Bible read me. 
like that that open transparency as we go through it it means whatever it is you're doing they'll still the, again the moments of stillness um to me hearing his voice is is that's what like brings it all to life for me that's like the thing is like um yeah maybe i didn't read as much as i would have liked to or maybe i did you know maybe i i, I smashed it I, I i read what i wanted to read uh, i prayed what i wanted to pray whatever it is but for me it's like but did i connect with him like did, does my heart feel like i've, I've established some degree of connection and even the the one thing this has been huge for me just on a personal level um so when i if uh, let's say it, it's a day where like i've slept in and i i have to start work usually i start working at 6 30 right and so it's like man i need to get into work but it's like 6 15 and so i just have enough time to put my clothes on and and maybe you know spend a little bit of time and for me i'm just like the the thing is i'm not i'm not like trying to read the bible enough to make up for the time or whatever i'm just like I, I just want to know that I've connected with him. Just like, God, I give you the day. May everything I say and do glorify you. It's yours, you know, and waiting, waiting for that moment to just feel his presence or or to to hear something from him or just to establish that genuine heart connection. Um, to me, that's kind of what it's all about. Now, do you, do you want me to get into the practicals of what that looks like for me on a regular basis, Shane? That'd be helpful. I, I, I wanted to say real quick that I, I love what you're pointing out about your posture when you read scripture, because that, that, that has taken me a long time to transition. So mm. like you you can do the same action, um, but your motivation can be different. So like identity and action are often tethered together. Uh, our actions reflect like our value system, mm. like what we value, um, but they also shape what we value. So they're, they're reciprocal. Like my actions shape me and my actions also reflect me. Yeah. Um, and I, I, again, when I, for the, maybe like the first five years of my Christian life, um, I still had this mentality that I, I need to acquire information. I need to acquire knowledge because that's the Christian life that, mm -hmm. that will give me life. That'll give me the abundant life. Um, and then I, I found, I hit this like threshold where it's like, oh, like I, I, I know that book pretty well. You know, like I, I've read that Bible many, many times, you know, like I, I can, I can chill. Um, and I started to see like deformation in my life. And I was wondering why, hmm. and the Lord was able to speak into that situation and, and, uh, help me to see that the scripture is an inspired medium of sorts. Um, I don't mean that in any sort of like sorcery or witchcraft way, but I, I'm talking to you right now through Zoom. Zoom is a better medium than texting. Uh, it's like, yeah, I can know God in creation. I can know God through science. I can know God through a lot of different mediums. Yeah. Um, but actually being with you in person, Sophia, right? Where like I can, I can shake your hand and I can hug you and we can hang out and we can do things together. We can be embodied. Uh, that's going to be the best sort of medium for us to relationally interact. Um, and so having, it's a honestly being around people who are reflecting God's image and scripture, like those are like scripture is the medium by which I can hear God best. Right. And mm. I can spend time with him best. Like, I, but I, I get to read I get to read the book with the author. Like it would be really, really weird for me to sit beside my earthly father. Uh, and if he had written an autobiography of his life and start reading it and never talk to him about it, that would be mm -hmm. really funky. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but I would, ha- I would totally like, I'd be reading it. I'd be like, oh my gosh, this happened to you. Or like, oh, what, like, what were you thinking here? Or like, ow, like, how did that make you feel? Uh, and we'd interact like with yes. his story in real time because I, I have his story and I have the person right beside me. Yeah. Uh, and that's, that's a, a posture that I, I have found so darn valuable in reading scripture where it's like, I actually get to read it with the author in real time. Uh, and he's he's changing me as I do it. Mm. Uh, I like that. So there's this like the verse there in Ephesians where it talks about husbands and wives, and it talks about how uh, Christ. Um, hu- it says husbands uh, talks about husbands washing their wives in the Word. Uh, I really have no idea what that means, but in in the context, we are the bride, and Christ washes us in the Word, and there is this cleansing. So it's like okay, like I don't necessarily as a husband know how to apply it, but I do know that there are certain situations where like we're watching a movie that I really love, but I'm watching it with her, and I'm like, wait, I'm kind of embarrassed that that we're both being washed in this. Like mm-hmm. I don't actually want us like our marriage to be rinsed in this, mm-hmm. um, and I do experience that when I'm reading scripture, not every time, but there is a washing that's taking place and putting ourselves in a situation where we're not just putting on the clothes of our Christian identity, but allowing ourselves to be washed Mm. uh, is something that takes place with scripture. So I really love what you're saying. I just wanted to double and triple down on it. Um, You're welcome to respond if you'd like, but yes, would love to get into some of the particulars as well. Yeah, yeah, okay. So I I don't wanna drag this on too much, but I, I did have two thoughts really quick. Uh, I think another another thing that people are often very critical of themselves of in this particular area is like, man, what's the point in reading the Bible? Like, I I just forget what I read like five minutes later, and um, I think the the illustration you just used is so powerful. Like, who here remembers like their shower experience for the last week? Like Thursday, I'm I'm guessing Thursday last week, we we probably bathed, but does anybody remember what they did? How long it was? You know, like how much soap they put on. No, of course not. But it washed you. That's the point. You were cleansed, right? And I, I think it's important for people to just keep that in context. Um, there was something else you were saying as well that I, I really liked, but it's it's escaping me now. Oh, this is the other thing. And uh, I'll use this as a segue to just answer some of the more nuts and bolts of this. I think one thing that's supremely valuable for me, and this was something I got a lot of feedback on in my book, especially in, in the early um editing processes is a, a couple of my editors said, hey, the, the book is awesome, but this is by far my favorite part. And I, I, I had a little segment in the book where I talked about seasons and the importance of knowing your seasons in life because it is the seasons of life that dictate our priorities. And uh, this whole balance thing to me is like such a myth, people trying to ex- experience balance in life. To me, that's not what it's about. It's about establishing rhythms that are appropriate for the season God has you in. And the application is very similar in spiritual disciplines and the time that we spend with the God with God one on one. It's that we are we the the way we spend that time and how we do it should be reflective of the season we're in. And you were talking about how you were having these like like you're you're talking to Jesus like he's sitting right beside you. Like what was it like to go through this as you're reading a story about him? The same way that you know if you were reading my book, you'd probably be like, man, what was that like when you went through that? Right? It's the same kind of idea, and I I love that. And he was reminding me um, that I I had a season like that as well. And um, it's so tempting to hear that and be like, oh man, why don't I do that anymore? But I have to remind myself, oh, but that was the season, you know. And the season I'm in now, the priorities are different for how I spend time with him, and it's just as valuable arguably more valuable because it's built on the previous seasons that led up to this one. 
And so um, I think hopefully that's helpful for the listeners just to get some context um, to, to actually get into the nuts and bolts of it. So I, I typically the first 45 minutes to 60 minutes of the day uh, I spend with God Monday to Friday. So that's that's kind of been my thing. I just find it it recalibrates me spirit, soul and body. It gets me focused and it really allows me to develop spiritually, which I believe is more important than any other professional development, even my own marital development. Um, those things are all distant seconds to, to developing with God. Uh, for me, right, what I'm doing right now is I walk uh, for a majority of that time, probably 25 minutes of it. I'm walking and I'm just dialoguing with God. I'm sometimes it's like I cast my cares upon him. Sometimes it's requests. Sometimes, honestly, typically I actually just start the day by saying, good morning, God, how are you doing? You know, like the same idea, just like we're just checking in and not not in an irreverent way, you know, but just just that like that interpersonal element before I maybe start praying into something or asking him about this. You know, the way we've structured Deep Clean, Deep Clean is a for-profit corporation. And I believe that God is the CEO of, of everything we do. I'm just not smart enough to run an organization. And so for me, you know, sometimes these prayer walks are where I'm saying, God, I don't know what to do in this situation. What do you think I should do? Or, you know, whatever it might be. And then, um, and then I love, I love getting into the Bible. Uh, for me, I, I, I do different things depending on the season. Right now I'm going through the book of Luke. That's the gospel that I've always resonated the most with. Um, Luke was a doctor, so I think just his writing just kind of resonates with my more medical, medically oriented brain. But um, but then I also always read a chapter of Proverbs. So there's you know there's 31 chapters, so one for each chapter of the month. Um, so we're recording this on the third of the month. So I read Proverbs three this morning. You know, it's that mm-hmm. kind of idea, and that's that's a, a majority of my spiritual disciplines is done in the morning. Uh, I just know that if I don't do it in the morning, it probably won't happen. It's just easy to talk yourself out of it. And the other thing that's been a huge part of my life for the last six years is I fast for 24 hours every week. That's usually from Saturday after dinner till Sunday dinner time. So I only actually miss two full meals. But the the point of it is, um, I, I would say it's kind of similar to like, if you imagine getting to know a significant other, you know, you can you could do dinner in a movie every single week. And you will get to know them. Spending that time and hanging out is fun. But then when my wife and I, um, you know, when we go on a road trip, we just get to know each other differently because it's a different activity just brings out different sides of you. And I find that fasting adds a different dimension to my walk with God. There's just ways that I build relationship with him when I'm fasting that cannot be forged reading the Bible or worshiping or anything else. And, um, and so fasting has been a staple for me. I really enjoy it. And then it's cool. There's lots of research out now about the physiological benefits of fasting. So that's just so, sort of a, an added bonus. But for me, it's fasting. And what I do specifically with fasting is like when I get hunger pangs, I use that as a reminder to pray. And I will typically have something. I actually usually ask the Holy Spirit, what should I be praying into for this fasting period? Whatever he puts on my heart, every time I'm hungry, I just pray into it. And so it's, um, you know, it, God's moved mountains from this process. Like there's things that my wife and I have, have gone through or prayed through. There's things in the business that we've prayed through before, a whole bunch of different things uh, over the years. And man, so much breakthrough has come from the things that the Holy Spirit put on my heart, praying to this specifically, Sathya, and praying into. And, and you don't always realize it, but then it sort of compounds and accumulates. And I look back weeks, months, years later, and I go, man, that, that is amazing. God lay that on my heart and look at how far this thing has come. So uh, that's a little bit more of the the nitty gritty nuts and bolts of kind of what things look like for me right now. 
Hmm. I love that. That's that's good. It's really, really good. Um, so, Thea, I want to ask how how have you noticed your desires change from these practices? Um, so we don't just uh, do it for doing its sake. Um, so for me, uh, similarly, scripture, um, uh, an intentional time of stillness. Mm. Uh, practicing stillness is really big because I I think I regularly feel insecure. It's I think I just notice it as a as a an indwelling emotion. Mm. Um, and stillness helps me. It, it well, it's an act of like bravery for me because I like you had said earlier, uh, uh, Eugene Peterson said that the great idol of our generation is our cultural addiction to busyness. Mm. And we are, there's a stimulation is a distraction from the things that my soul is saying. And I'm trying to feed it, not realizing that stillness uh, is me sitting at the dinner table so that I can actually hear from God and he is the rock. He can shore up uh, areas of my identity. Uh, he can speak to my insecurities. I can look at them and realize that I'm okay. A lot of times I'm 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 just running from air, you know? Like I, I always say, that I, I like that Jesus, uh, I, I think of it as like Jesus taking me into the dark rooms I'm scared to go into. Yeah, uh, but he doesn't just like throw on the light switch. He has actually a dimmer switch, and he's just even like really gentle even then about exposing me to light. He mm. is just he's yeah he's just wildly considerate at a relational level. Like he allows us to grow slow, as a friend of mine says. Uh, may may prick you i can't actually remember the quote if it comes to me later i'll drop it but okay. <laughs> uh it, it it's it's striking to me that i i am so afraid of things that are so nebulous i, I think the pro, there's a proverb that says um uh the wicked run when no one is chasing you know mm, right. and it's like yeah that that is true like i find myself running uh from things that i i haven't even taken the time to identify um, so stillness has been a really powerful practice. Um, and exercise. So exercise is like I I love that a part of our priesthood is temple care and learning how to exercise, learning how to be embodied. I've spent a lot of time practicing uh, deformative physical activities, such as like pornography or whatever. These are they discipled my body. And even for like the first five months of my marriage, I didn't even know. Uh, but I had, I had erectile dysfunction. Like I had physio, I had uh, discipled my body into a way of knowing intimacy. Mm. Um, and I didn't even know it because I'd, I'd only really gotten off because, uh, due to autoeroticism and pornography. And then all of a sudden, once I, I'd, I'd had clean time for sure, but then all of a sudden that didn't matter. I had to relearn intimacy and someone else's touch and, yeah. and, and intimacy not as demand or consuming, but as giving and as receiving. Uh, it's totally different orientation. Lust and love are not the same thing. Uh, porn isn't a placeholder for sex and marriage. Um, my body, 
I literally discipled my body into not knowing how to have sex. It's just the craziest thing to me. Yeah. Um, so like I, I, I've seen some of the ways, like really tangible ways of like, okay, like learning how to be embodied is really significant. Like we're not just like souls that Jesus is forming. Like he's, he's bringing salvation to our lives and there's good news that we get to explore as embodied beings. Um, so it'd be interesting to hear how have you noticed from this, like just simple practices, how your own desires have shifted and changed and developed. Yeah. Man, I love the way you said, I always learn so much from you when you just open your mouth and talk, man. It's amazing. <laughs> uh, really, that was really, really cool. I, we were talking about this before and we, this was not planned, but I'm, I'm going to speak at a men's breakfast tomorrow and I've been really drawn to Colossians 3 as I'm getting ready for it and I'm going to teach out of it. And it was funny in the, in our, our correspondence before this, I know you had brought up Colossians 3 as well as just something that you thought would be good to tie into what we wanted to talk about today. There's a, there's a verse there in, in chapter 3 and I'm, I'm just looking for it now. Yeah, it says, do not lie to one another. This is verse 9, since you have put off the old man with his deeds. And it lists the deeds in the, in the previous verse. Things like anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language. Uh, and even earlier, it talks about fornication, uncleanness, uh, lust, evil desire, covetousness, etc. So you put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. And you were saying this earlier. We're each person represents a unique aspect of God that you're not going to get anywhere else. And there's this incredible thing about we're made in the image of God, which means if we build knowledge of God or we, we, we develop this relationship, this connection with him, it is impossible for us to not build knowledge of ourselves in the process because we're made in his image. And when I think about what the disciplines have done for me and, and what building this kind of active relationship with God has done over the years, to me, that's it. It's just that in the process of finding him, I found myself. And I find myself again every single day. Like the word in verse 10 of Colossians 3 is you put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge. And so the, the idea is that this is a daily thing. Like every time that you build a bit more knowledge, a bit more understanding of who God is, you, you become, you're, you're made new all over again. And, and that's, that's what I love. Like that, that to me is like, is holiness. That's, that's, that's where like the instruction to be holy as I am holy actually becomes possible. It, it's, it's that we, it's that we learn to just become more like the person whose image we were made in. And so I think, I think that that's it for me. I could certainly give you examples of like, yeah, you know, I, I became a, a kinder person over the years. I became more humble. I've, I've had greater perspective. Um, you know, I have a, a greater value for other people. I'm more generous. Like the list could go on and on, but really all of those are actually just byproducts of me becoming more like God by getting to know him better. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that is the that's like the ultimate fruit of spiritual disciplines and this whole discipleship journey. Mm. Uh, Paul, when he's writing to the church at Corinth, he, he says, uh, and we all with unveiled faces are beholding the glory of the Lord and are, and are being transformed from one degree of glory to the next. Right. And it's like, we are image bearers and we now have the capacity to look at Jesus and see God. And the yeah. more that we stare at him, the more we become like him and are transformed from one degree of glory to the next. But like you actually have to stare at him. 
right? Like you actually have to look at him and yeah. it is a mirror. Like you do end up realizing your own story, right? Your own pain, your own longings. And he does wash and rinse those desires in the process. Yeah. So and like everything you're saying. Well, and I was just gonna say, that's why it's so formative or that's why it's spiritual formation because you're being, you're being made in, made more in the image of him. And I think for a lot of people who resonate with our stories of struggling with pornography or other sexual misbehavior, so much of it, uh, so much of the solutions are focused around like trying to manage it, even trying to eliminate it. And for me, it's like the actual meat of this is really about just becoming the person God made you to be. And in that process, as you become more like him, those other things, like your your desires shift, your appetites change, and you you naturally just start to detach from some of those deforming practices because they are no longer compliant with the person that you're becoming. I, I wanted to ask you, Shane, like on, on your end, uh, we haven't necessarily talked about the, the nuts and bolts for you as much, which I think would be cool to hear, but is there is there anything in particular that you're like this this practice or you know this this is like a centerpiece of my spiritual formation and something that i wouldn't give up i know you talked about stillness is there is there anything else or um i'm just curious even like what does it look like practically how are you practicing stillness in this season yeah thanks for asking sathia um are you doing okay on time i'm doing okay on time yeah okay um yeah uh stillness thank you for asking uh two ways. Um, and I, I want to make a, no, let me answer your question. And then, uh, so Brendan Manning has this breathing exercise, uh, where he, he, he coaches you into breathing in Abba and then breathing out. I am yours. Hmm. Um, and that is something I've been doing for about like 10 years. Um, and it's neat to see how it grows and develops uh, it grows in sophistication. It grows in imagery, different things. Sometimes you're uh, breathing in Abba and uh, it's the proverb, uh, the breath of a person is the lamp of the Lord by which he searches his innermost part. So it's like, okay, like like I'm, I'm imagining being known in every breath because a breath is grace. It's the lamp of the Lord that he uses to search me and know me. And he delights in what he sees so much that he wants to give another breath to me because he wants to know me afresh again. He loves me that much. He loves knowing me. Mm. Um, and so gaining even a different relationship with my breath, like just as we talked about earlier, like I think that that's temple care where God's spirit would inhabit the temple uh, of of Israel um, in a wind, you know, and the word for spirit in the Old Testament was breath. Um, and so, uh, learning even just to manage my own breath, because when my, when my breathing isn't regulated, then I have a lot more anxiety and fear yeah. and worry. Like it's the first thing that's compromised when my cortisol levels are spiked. Um, and so learning just to learning, practicing, practicing presence, like learning to be present instead of, um, Instead of looking at what I've lost because it's in the past, I can't go back and get it, or running from the past because it haunts me, or living in the future because it promises hope, or being afraid of the future because there's some sort of obligation or responsibility that I'm intimidated by, how do I actually be present? Um, 
And it's one of the things now that like I, I, I go to like in church where it's like, okay, like I'm trying to wrap my head around this. And it's like, well, why don't you be embodied first? You know, like don't yeah, like yeah. don't be abstract, like don't practice disembodiment. Like it because it is it's disincarnational when when we start doing that. Hmm. Uh and so like learning to actually follow Jesus, starting with just being properly incarnated in my own body. Uh so breath. Um and then there's uh this is so this is something I've been doing for the last two months uh before I go to sleep. Um I will I will imagine myself on a raft in the sea and there's a storm above me and the sea is gnarly below me. Uh the lightning and clouds and stuff and rain above are my thoughts, and the gnarly sea below me are uh my emotions. And I do my best, and sometimes it's really blurry to just visualize Jesus walking on the sea. Um, and wow. and I speak with him about the the lightning. So we address that first, the thoughts. Uh, and then we start speaking about the sea. And it's really interesting because like the last week, uh, the people who are in the sea are typically the people I've interacted with that day. Like I actually like end up finding them and then like pulling them on the raft with me. They're, so they're like companions. Yeah. Uh, they're not just like like memories inside of me of people that I've interacted with that are just drowning because I've drowned them out with noise and sound and anxiety. Yeah. Um, and so that's that's been something I've been practicing. I, that's I've, so cool. It is. It's really cool. Uh, I've enjoyed it the last few months. It's been really a neat place to be able to go because sleep is often scary for me and hard for me. Um, and, uh, and I mean, in the past I've practiced just visualizing Jesus's cross and sometimes I, all I can see are his feet, you know, like I can't imagine anything above that. Um, but at like different points, it's like, like trying to touch it and it's like, oh, I got a splinter, you know, it's like, oh my gosh, like Jesus, I never realized you had splinters, you know, like you, (laughs) you got splinters on that cross. And it's like, that's such a, that's just a cool thing. Cause now whenever I get a splinter, it's like, oh, like. Jesus, thank you for getting splinters so you could know me when I get a splinter. It's like, this is so crazy <laughs> that you want to know like my experience that intimately that you have, you've gotten a splinter. Yeah. Um, so like there have been different ways, but the the most recent way is that visualization with the sea, the raft, Jesus on water. And Man, that's so powerful. It It's interesting because you were talking earlier about how Jesus was never in a hurry. And I would have to imagine whether or not Jesus had a practice or maybe he was just able to do this naturally, but these sort of um, intentional moments of just being still and being present, I think are becoming so valuable. Obviously Jesus was just able to do that. However he did it, I guess we don't really know, but I think that that's becoming more and more necessary in our culture. And I was, because, you know, like we've been hearing that language for a couple of years now, right? Like about like wanting to be present. We all want to be present. And sometimes when things become too mainstream, I just, I develop a little bit of a callus towards it. And I, I caught myself in that position a little bit. And then I was reading a book and they were, t- they were sort of articulating the neurobiological basis of addiction, which is um, like, you know, everyone talks about dopamine and do- dopamine is not the pleasure acquiring chemical. It's the pleasure seeking chemical. Mm. It's actually in the pursuit of it that we get the exhilaration. And what they were saying is that the the neurobiological basis of addiction, something that, you, you know, you and I have both gone through, you in, in multiple different uh, avenues, the neurobiological basis is what's next, 
that's what the brain's actually addicted to. It's it's not really about the substance or the behavior as much as it's about what's next, what's next, what's next. And how do you combat or at least mitigate an obsession with what's next? Well, you stay present. And I think, you know, maybe maybe people listening aren't addicted to porn like we were, but most people are addicted to their phones. Most people are addicted to their devices, social media. There's a lot of things that we're, we're forming pretty unhealthy attachments to. And I think this whole thing of being present is incredibly powerful for stabilizing us, helping us stay centered and grounded. Uh, but then I think to like what ties it all together for me and what you just said is like, it's the thing that allows us to even come up with the idea of picturing ourselves on a raft in the sea and processing ourselves. You can't do that if you're not present. You know what I mean? Like that it's like, it's the thing that uh, makes these moments so valuable. And whether you carve um, an hour out of your day or, or all you have is two and a half minutes between, you know, kid routines and getting to work and trying to scarf some food down in the mornings. I just think um, any moment that you can be present with him is worthwhile. It's worth his weight in gold. And uh, I love the way you set that up. And I, I think that practical, that, that illustration, like that's amazing. That's just an amazing byproduct of practicing stillness. Like you were talking about. It's so cool, man. Yeah, I, I like the uh, um, so Genesis chapter one. God uh, makes stuff, and then he names. Um, and mm. then Genesis two, he takes Adam through a similar. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, anyways, he takes him. Say it again. Protocol. Well, he takes him through a similar action. He takes him, he ta- he has he br- he brings the creatures of creation to him and he has Adam name them. Right? Yeah. So he's in a sense having him mirror or image God. He's teaching him his imago day. Uh he's teaching him how to have dominion. Nice. Um, and how much of that is naming uh and how naming isn't just meaning making in some sort of like subjective way like naming is like meaning finding because we're not just creating meaning. We are discoverers of meaning. Mm. Um, and I, I mean, that literally is the basis for like Brene Brown's uh, recent work, Atlas of the heart, where it's like, Oh, like we, we, uh, what did she just like interviewed like 2000 people and had like a range of experiences and asked them to use emotion language to describe them. And like out of 3000 people, like, I think like 90% of them could only use three emotion words. Huh. I was like, oh, well, that's really telling. And then so she wrote this book and it's like, like 57 different emotions and it's Atlas of the Heart. It's like, this is really, really cool. My wife just finished doing it as a as a devotional. Every single morning, she would just work through a different emotion. And huh. now it's, it's like, it's literally a family resource. Um, I say all that because confession um learning to acknowledge like we are christians we are those who look at jesus's shame his nakedness on the cross and we say my king was shamed for me i'm not ashamed to be associated with him like literally my association with him is really just his association with my shame uh and so we are those who can declare boldly how jacked up we are because our our shame is neutered you know like yeah. we are we are i'm seen and i am uh, like covered in my own filth naked and i am hugged and embraced you know it's like okay like the more i 
literally visualize that space. It's like that is so life-giving because that is the gospel. Yeah. Uh, when we are afraid to acknowledge some sort of shortcoming or whatever, it's really just an acknowledgement that, like, yeah, like we we don't we don't believe that he's 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 taken all my shame or that he was shamed in all the ways that I feel shame now. Uh, and so like confession is a spiritual discipline for me through and through. Uh, and it's been cool to see modern science catch up with ancient wisdom that like, like when we confess oxytocin is released, like, because it's no an way. act of vulnerability. Yeah. And it's like I one of the very that. few things like that, that allows for neuroplasticity and healing the pathways that we've carved with dopamine in our brains and pursuing pornography. So like literally wow. the confession of porn even after the fact like is its own medicine it's medicinal uh to our bodies to help heal us from the wow. damage that we just wrought it, it literally starts to mend us because we're in a vulnerable situation where we're being known and a relationship is being connected that's a i i heard i saw one one biologist called it uh like chemical chem chemical commitment the oxytocin is chemical commitment, chem yes, chemical yes. covenant in a lot of ways. Yes. Um, and I've had to do that. Like I, I already know, like, like we have to ask what are the resources that Jesus died and resurrected to give us? And one of them is covenant. And so like, that is something that I've practiced as a spiritual discipline where every morning and every night for several months, I had had like one friend where I would call and I would call him in the morning and say, Hey, this is how I'm doing. Uh, this is how I'm struggling. This is what I'm afraid of. Yeah. Uh, and I make covenant with you today to like call you as soon as I start feeling temptation. And then at the end of the day, we get on the phone again. It's like, okay, like this is where I struggled. This is how I persevered. And you're confessing. You're not just confessing your failures, but you're confessing uh, the empowerment as well, the things you were able to get through. Um, so like confession, confession uh, in the context of covenant uh, and we would actually use that language. I make covenant with you today, right. X, Y, and Z. And we, I did that for months and months. Um, and that that that's one of the things that has brought a lot of healing into my life. And I, I would love to hear just as kind of a, a wrap up direction, what, so there are certain, there are certain practices that I won't ever compromise, like exercising, like stillness, like scripture reading. These are constants. Uh, just like in any relationship, I have to have constants with my wife, with my friends, where it's like, okay, like this is the basis of our relationship. Like this is yeah. like, if I violate this thing that I'm actually violating our relationship. Um, yeah. But like you noticed or noted earlier, like new experiences are wildly enriching where it's like, oh, I went on a road trip with my wife and discovered this thing about myself and her and whatever. Um <sighs> So that leaves room for like variable change. That leaves room for just new experiences. Um, what, uh, how do you discern? So for me, like I, I try and just ask Jesus, Jesus, what, how are you trying to disciple me right now? I'll like ask him that question and, yeah. and trying to discern like, okay, what are like focal points of his discipleship in my life? that I can lean into instead of like being a passive recipient recipient of his formation of his discipleship. I want to partner with him. I want to be his son, not a tool, you know, like I I'm a child of his. And so like there's knowing rootedness while in exile is really important. Yeah. Um, 
but while at the same time, fresh experiences, uh, because Jesus is discipling us in different ways. And so what does it look like for you to discern um, how Jesus is trying to disciple you and what sort of spiritual disciplines you sh- you should not I liked what you said earlier. I know a friend of mine always says, stop shooting all over yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so uh, you're being invited. So spiritual disciplines you're being invited into to know new life, to know new yeah. relational aspects with Jesus. Yeah. That's such a good question. And I, I think for me, uh, there's a, it's a fine balance between you do things because you know that you're supposed to do them, even if you don't feel like it. But at the same time, you also need to measure the fruitfulness. I, I remember a particular season where um, I really had a hard time hearing the voice of God. You know, I it, it just kind of dried up and it I, I was still asking questions. I was doing everything I normally did, uh, but I wasn't really hearing anything back. And I was kind of saying, oh, I'm in this dry season and getting people to pray for me. And, you know, I can't hear from God and whatever. And it was I was probably nine months into this season. And all of a sudden, I it, it had clicked. And, and I, I'm sure there was something else that happened, but I don't remember what led up to this. I just remember, what am I talking about? I, I had been having dreams like crazy in that season in the night. And all that happened is the, the methods that I was accustomed to that were kind of my norm were no longer fruitful. God was just speaking to me through a different method. And I think that's the whole thing of like, uh, my sheep know me and they know my voice. It's that we just learn to recognize where it's like, man, I've done this for so long, but it just doesn't seem to be fruitful. But this thing over here has some life on it. And I, and I think I hear his voice. And so there's, there's a, there's a bit of an, a balancing act there. You know, I don't know if I'll ever not fast for 24 hours. I certainly feel like at this stage that that will never change, but it very well could. I could reach a point where I'm like, man, I'm just doing this because I do it. It's not actually bringing value to my walk with him. And maybe he'll be doing something new in that season. So for me, as a default, I always I always try to just be consistent with the things that are in my life. But then you're regularly evaluating their effectiveness and trying to see if there's ways you can improve upon it or things you need to do differently. And so I think it's, it's a little bit of A and a little bit of B for me. And I, I would say the other element is what we discussed earlier. And it is amazing. If people listen back to this episode, they'll be amazed at how many different things actually tied in here. But we were talking about seasons as well. And I think that's like another huge part of it. Uh, my wife and I were, were living in Jamaica for about five weeks. Uh, well, we lived for seven months out of the year pre- previous, and we were just there for five weeks because uh, she's from Jamaica. When I'm in Jamaica, I know that the way I spend time with God is going to be different just because like, I'm not in my home. Uh, I'm still like, I'm doing my best to wake up at the same time. That stuff is all relatively similar, but it just, it looks different. It feels different. And I'm, I'm okay with that, you know, cause the season is just a little bit different. And, um, and so I think it's just, it's acknowledging that, you know, um, it's funny when my, uh, when I was single, I used to talk about how regimented I was with my spiritual disciplines and people would always say, oh yeah, but wait till you get married. It totally changes. And, you know, I got married and, and I would say not a lot really changed. And, um, and now people say, oh, wait till you have kids, it'll change, you know, and, um, they might be right about that one, you know, kids could definitely change it. Uh, but I think, um, 
I, I think the again, like if this if that's what the season is, mm-hmm. I've I've pastored many, many people through difficult seasons where it's like, man, like my kid takes up all my time. I can't spend time with God in the morning like I used to. I can't even worship Sunday mornings because I'm holding the kid or you know, whatever it is. It's it's always different. But it's like, man, that is your worship. Like that is your spiritual discipline. Like you you just gotta own that season. And so I, I think for me, that's what sort of ties us all together is just knowing that um like even if I don't get the the 45 minutes in the morning, um, then I'll go for a walk later and that'll be my act of worship. Or, um, you know, it, I'll, I'll make I'll make a meal for my wife or I'll do whatever it is. I'll make sure that those things are still worshipful and I'm learning to just incorporate God into those elements as well. Because mm-hmm. um, there's no separation of sacred and secular when you're in him. You know, it, it's all sacred. We just have to have that mentality about it. And um, yeah, I would say that's that's kind of how I go about it. Yeah, as Jesus says, eyes to see and ears to hear. Right. Yes, exactly. I yeah. really love that, Sophia. That's actually a really inspiring answer. And it it gives um it gives depth and scope to Paul there. Cause he in the ESV, um, that, that verse nine, put off the old self uh with its practices. Yours was deeds with its practices, mm. and put on the new self, the new Adam. Um, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. <clears throat> it's like, okay, yeah. Like, I, I don't just like, because the second list put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Uh, and above all these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. It's like, I don't just put on compassionate. It's like, I will put on my compassionate heart today. You know, it's like, well, no, Paul is saying, take off the practices <clears throat> of, of <clears throat> excuse me, of, uh, 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 of lust, right? Put yeah. on practices that foster compassion, like put on right. like practices of kindness. And I really like your response because it's like, okay, in this new environment or in this new season around these new people, what does it look like for me? Like, what can I commit? Because I know that I am changed in a process over time, not just through an action, uh, but through repetition, what does it look like for me to foster God's image within me uh, and show hospitality to God's spirit within me and to love my neighbor as I love myself? Like, what does it look like for me to, like, in what way do the people around me need compassion? In what way around me do the people need love mm. and kindness and gentleness? And to intentionally put on those practices, because I also like what you said, it's, it's, um, I think it'd be really, really grandiose about the goal. You know, just like really easy to ideas. Like I will never watch porn again, you know, or like I will yeah. work out for two hours every day. It's like, no, like, I mean, my, my discipline with exercise, it's like anything over 10 minutes is a win. Right. Good job. Yeah. And sometimes like yeah. I, I regularly have to find like guided videos, you know, or it's like, okay. Uh, or I have to go somewhere where it's like, I know I will be here for, you know, more than 10 minutes yeah. um, or at least 10 minutes. And that's fine. Sometimes it's just getting on the rower. For 10 minutes and it's like that is a win yeah. and that's all that's it um i'm just engaging my body regulating my breath like learning to uh be under stress and regulate my breath and my body's in motion it's like oh gosh that is so formative in so many ways like yeah. that's its own podcast and 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 so, yeah, I, I just like the way that you you really it just inspired a lot of thoughts so thank you for that um Sathya, any other Maybe like word of encouragement or um, um, 
framing for somebody who's trying to take this conversation seriously and wants to move forward? Yeah, I think if there's, you know, one thing I could encourage the listeners with, it would just be this, like, oh, God is happy with whatever you're able to offer him. You know, um, I think I think sometimes we just, we worry too much about making it perfect uh, or it reaching a certain standard. And, you know, there are scriptures that, like David wrote, like, I will not give that which costs me nothing. Um, but I think at the same time, like, we sometimes we just set the bar way too high. And if all you have is, you're like, I have no minutes of the day to sit down and actually read my Bible. Maybe throw on, throw on the audio Bible while you're driving somewhere. Like there's ways you can incorporate it. Just get started. You know, I think that'd be my biggest encouragement. You just have to start somewhere. And, you know, I would consider my life to be pretty routine, but this is the byproduct of like, I mean, I've been in, investing in these disciplines for 12 years now, something like that. And it didn't start this way. It started really small. Uh, you know, I was probably reading my Bible maybe five minutes a day when I first like really committed and certainly had bouts where it was a lot more in-depth and intense, but that was kind of my regular practice. So just start small, play the long game. This thing compounds all the way into eternity. So, mm-hmm. you know, start small and God's God's happy with any effort you're going to put in. He sees it and he'll reward it. Amen. Amen. Sophia, thank you for joining for this conversation. I, uh, there's that verse in first John where uh, John says, uh, and his commands aren't burdensome. Hmm. Um, I want to spend the rest of my life on this earth discovering what that verse means. Hmm. Like I, that's what I want. I feel like that's, and I like what you said because uh, it's uh, the way that you're encouraging people to approach this is actually a a practice of hope. Yeah. Um and faith is a certainty of things hoped for. Like if if our our ability to hope is malnourished, then our faith will always be anemic. Um so I wow. really like that's the way that you're framing hope. Uh well framing spiritual disciplines as an invitation of hope, as a practice of hope where it's like okay, I'm going to kick it with you for two minutes, like James Clear from Atomic Habits, like the two minute rule, like you, you form yeah. a habit and just start it for two minutes and actually stop at two minutes and do that for a week. Like don't right. go above, but just do it for two minutes. Yeah. And it's uh, the testimonies from just doing that are incredible and it is hope giving. And as we talked about earlier, eternal life isn't a place, it is a relationship. And so we just get to do it now until forever, which is yeah. really gnarly. And we are invited to explore in his kingdom. We are children and we're called to be childlike. That's how we gain access into the kingdom. And so we need to continue to explore it and adventure through it. Uh, so thank you for joining us. It's, it's been good to be with you, man. I, I really enjoyed this conversation and thank you for sharing your life. It, um, Yeah, it, I, it helps me to see what he's like. Uh, uh, so sweet, it's just man. good to be with you, brother. No, li- likewise. I, I love what you're doing here with uh, with Proven Ministries and uh, Naked Gospel Podcast. And I think, uh, like I said, every time you open your mouth, I learn something, man. So the pleasure is all mine. Thanks for thanks for doing this. Amen. Amen. Folks, thank you for joining with us. Uh, if you want to actively uh, rebel against the cultural scripts that teach us and disciple us into really broken version of intimacy and sexuality uh, and explore Jesus's way. Um, 
what does it look like to actually have reconciled, united, intimate relationships that are safe and true? Um, I love knowing God and being known by him. And I love knowing people and being known by them in ways that are safe and wholesome and true. If you want to support the mission, uh, the Disruptor Initiative, there will be a link down below. Check that out and would encourage you to share this with at least one person that you know. A conversation like this is really quite beneficial in the midst of trying to figure out what the heck it means to actually follow Jesus. Um, look forward to hearing back from you guys. And uh, yeah, thanks for joining us here on The Naked Gospel. Sathya, that was awesome, bro. Okay, well, there you have it. That was my conversation with Shane O'Neill. I thoroughly enjoyed that. We went pretty long as well, as you can tell. And if I'm being honest, I probably could have gone for another hour, 20 minutes. So I kind of see what Joe Rogan's up to. You know, he's got like three hour long podcasts and there's definitely some value there. I'm, I'm, I'm catching the, the wave a little bit. Uh, anyway, I highly recommend you guys go check out the Naked Gospel podcast. Shane hosts that. You can tell this guy's like heart of gold, very deep thinker, really intelligent and incredibly articulate. And I think you guys would gain a lot from their podcast. They have some phenomenal guests come through, really good content there. And if you're looking for some more help with porn addiction, you know that you can't keep just going through the motions. You know that listening to a podcast probably isn't going to be enough to change your life. You know that you probably need to get a little bit deeper. You probably need to do something a bit more systematic with a high degree of accountability. Then I think you should consider what we're doing here. The program is called Deep Clean. There's a link in the show notes uh, for you to book a time. But if you click that link, it'll actually take you to a video that explains what we do. And after you watch that video, if you want to book a time with us and see if you're a good fit for what we're doing, you're welcome to do that. So the link's in the show notes. And again, like the one thing I would just say is if you have some sexual misbehavior in your life that has persisted for more than five years, you're on a sinking ship. And you could the best thing you could do for yourself is get the help that you deserve. So I hope you'll seriously consider it. The link's in the show notes. And uh, we'll take it from there. In the meantime, guys, much love to all of you. Have an incredible day. We'll talk soon. Bye-bye. Hey, everybody. It's Thea again. Thanks for listening to Unleash the Man Within. I wanted to take a quick moment to let you know about a free ebook that I wrote for you called The Ultimate Guide to Porn Recovery. It provides a basic framework for the recovery process and a few of my top tips completely free of charge. You can get it now at www.ultimaterecoveryguide.com. That's www.ultimaterecoveryguide.com. Now, if you've been impacted by the podcast and you want to show some support in less than 60 seconds, there are three ways you can do that. First, you can leave a rating or review on your podcast platform. This lets people like you know that the content here is valuable. Secondly, you can share this episode with someone in your life that might benefit from the content. If you're passionate about helping other people experience freedom and success in their lives, this is one of the easiest ways to do that. And lastly, you can subscribe. I personally only listen to the podcast that I subscribe to. If you're seeking daily encouragement, guidance, and insight in your recovery journey, I highly recommend subscribing to Unleash the Man Within. Thanks for listening. I look forward to connecting with you very, very soon. The information, opinions, and recommendations presented in this podcast by Sathya Sam and his guests are for general information only and should not be considered medical, clinical, or any other form of professional advice. Any reliance on the information provided is done at your own risk.